DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome back Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst. Yogi, good morning. Good morning indeed. The Pac-12 schedule is out, so we thought we'd have you on. We take a, a break in the wall-to-wall jazz uh, nonstop coverage we give you here with the jazz uh, tearing things up. But there's always time for college football in Utah, as you well know. Let's go, man. I, I love it. <laughs> I love talking to you guys. So I see a lot of things reading different stories on different team schedules, but if there's one thing that jumped out at me, it's that USC was given a bye before Notre Dame. Somebody in the conference office or the conference ADs is thinking, you know, the Pac-12 rep has taken a beating here the last few years. USC winning in South Bend, that would be a big deal. Let's give them a bye and give them a chance to get ready. You reading the same stuff into it? Uh I don't know. I mean, I think the job of the conference is to, you know, take a competitive league and put everybody in the best position for their respective team. So uh, I'm sure it was considered. Uh, It is the latest they'll play in South Bend since 1993. So there's a little bit of that of like, hey, if you're an SC team, most kids are from, you know, the Bakersfield Beltway, if you will, from Bakersfield to San Diego on this roster. It's over 65% of the roster. So it's not like these guys are going to love going to the snow in South Bend if that's what the weather is like. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope that, I, mean, I know that there was consideration into making sure that you know, teams are not put in precarious scenarios. We've seen those in the past. So I, I love the move, and it's a, it's a great move built with the hype. Hopefully, Notre Dame is a top 10 team, and SC, they'll have a chance. And the game against Utah prior to that, of course, is going to. You know, launch them in the trajectory is a is a real quality win if they could get it. So, Yogi, what's going to be your first official act when you are named commissioner of the Pac-12? <laughs> first act, uh, make sure I'm on your show every week. There you so, go. Know, yes, I like it. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Pac-12 yeah. commissioner Yogi Roth joins us now. <laughs> oh, exactly right. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I think it's a really exciting time for our conference. Um, and I, you know, I've known Larry Scott since you know, he got the job. I was coaching. I was at SC, and uh, I remember when he, was, he came down to LA, and I met him for the first time. And it's really exciting. And I think there's a lot of great things that he did in his tenure in terms of you know television, et cetera, as we got going. But I, I think all of us, him included, would agree that you know it's it's time for a change. We, we see that all the time. You know what you guys experienced in Utah with Cal Whittingham is so uh, you know uncommon in sports, let alone college sports. So I think it's I think it's a good thing in terms of turning the page um, and getting a fresh narrative, right? A fresh narrative, and to me that's really exciting. And if there was one thing I would do, um, and one thing that I think will be done, and, and I think it's been done, and really not not gotten a lot of play, we do a lot of things in this conference for players that nobody talks about, right? So health insurance, they have it longer in this conference than any other conference when their playing career is over. Investment into mental health, investments into social justice, investment into concussion studies. Uh, we do a lot for the players. I would double down on that. You know, with NIL and everything happening, um, I hope the Pac-12 conference becomes the players' conference and a conference where anybody who's getting recruited here says, yeah, man, why am I leaving you know, the Pac-12 footprint to go to the South? Like, that is ludicrous. And you look at the forward-thinking model of just media in general, um, so that's what I hope happens, and I believe that's going to happen, and I look forward to the next couple of years because it's going to be crazy with NIL and everything that a commissioner is going to have to navigate. Of course, the media rights at the Pac-12 conference and the Pac-12 networks, but 
to me, it's a premier job. Like, how exciting is that? Like, you're not just coming in and just operating business as usual. You get to come in and you're part of major changes. And, oh, by the way, you get to live on the West Coast. Like, you want to be in college sports. I don't know if there's a better job administratively in college athletics, in my opinion, in terms of location, living, and the reality of what you're going to be able to do. So it really bugs you when you see California kids going to Alabama, running off to the SEC or Big Ten? It's bugging you big time. Well, the, the bug to me is, and I, I'm, I'm doing this new podcast series with quarterbacks about the phrase, what does it mean to make it? Right? And I talked to, um, I haven't aired him yet, but I just talked to Malik Zaire yesterday. He watched Notre Dame. I talked to Brandon Harris, who was a huge recruit, went to LSU. And both of those guys talked about fit. And I think a lot of times when you're seeing, and they weren't in the right fit. They both ended up leaving their school. But they were recruited, they fell in love with the process, they were local products, um, or they wanted to leave their footprint and, and go somewhere else. And the more and more I talk to high-profile players, um, a lot of times, and sometimes it works out, right? Najee, Najee Harris, who was the perfect fit, right, to Alabama, and look what he did. You know, he's a guy who was playing as well as anybody in the country last year at Alabama. But my point is that a lot of times in recruiting, guys go to places because, and I've talked to them, they were just in the playoff. It's a sexy thing. It's the hot thing. Uh, they just sent a couple guys to the Heisman. All notable things that help in recruiting versus, hey, what's the best fit for me? You know, where, where really should I play to develop where my family can see me, where I feel comfortable, where the coaching staff continues to recruit my high school so it's not like they don't care about me when I'm there necessarily. All the things that are realities in college football, um, I don't think players, and it's fair, don't recognize it until they're later in their career or after their career. So, yeah, it bugs me when I look at it and I'm like, What's up with that fit, right? Ali Caho, when he left UW to go to Alabama, it was like, where did that come from? came out of completely left field. And then when you study it, a lot of the guys that leave the footprint and take off, uh, you know, granted it's early in that relative process, but they don't always thrive, right? You can go up and down the list. I mean, there's a quarterback that went to Miami 15 years ago. Probably should have stayed in the Pac-12. I mean, I can give you examples left and right. Um, So overall, um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, unless that is the right fit, unless you do fall in love with everything about it versus just what that program had done in most recent times. Oh, Yogi, you're speaking my language. I've said it to you and on air many times here as an ASU grad watching the Big 12 title game with both quarterbacks being from the state of Arizona uh, last year. I didn't really like that. I could sort of live with both quarterbacks from being the state of Arizona with uh, Oregon and SC last year. She had four quarterbacks in the state of Arizona, and neither of them had stayed, and none of them stayed in Arizona. But now, Ohio State, the uh, successor to Fields, might be an, an Arizona kid. So it's just it's plagued this conference. And I think that of all the things, you know, we can talk about direct TV and not having the Pac-12 network and blah, blah, blah. You can come up with a bunch of reasons but I think I would put that right at the top of the list as far as kids taking off. To see a, a Clemson have a kid from you know, right down the street, metaphorically, from two L.A. schools and just a few hours away from Arizona, that really does bother me. And I think the conference, if they can get a hold on that, then they're going to be right where they want to be. Yeah, I think um, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, I think it's challenging um, right now when you look at recruiting because players are doing what I referenced. I think there's three schools that have separated themselves in college football in Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. 
to a degree in recruiting and the way that they recruit, uh, and, and quite frankly, the way that they play. Uh, but I do think that these three factors are going to lead and have led to players staying home uh, in no particular order. One being COVID-19. Uh, I think what we found is players that are far away from their families uh, weren't comfortable, didn't enjoy that. I think at least in the immediacy of recruiting and you know, not knowing the realities of what this virus is going to do to at least this upcoming college football season, we still don't know what fans are going to be like all across the country. Um, it's just kind of too hard to predict. So I think there's something there that has kept players home. Uh, and then you add in the last two recruiting cycles, nobody could go visit in last year's, and now there's still a dead period up until the summer. right? So how much visitation is really going to happen? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But in my opinion, that's factor number one. Factor number two uh, is NIL, right? as I referenced earlier. You know, you grow up in L.A. and you're Corey Foreman. Why are you leaving? Right? Even Kayvon Thibodeau staying in the footprint. And I think and, and you can go to Utah or you can go to Pullman, but – you're from the footprint you're still playing in la once a year you're still playing in seattle you're still playing in the bay area you're playing in you know salt lake city you're playing in media markets that you know have juice around who you are what you're about and celebrating your stories i think that's number two and i think think number three is social justice i I think what's going on on Paxville campuses and you hope around the country is is, well i I know around the country is really impressive in, in college communities when you look at the actual footprints though um, which is different. You know, you reference DJ Angelele. You go back and look at his Twitter feed when there was a peaceful protest on Clemson's campus, and he put out a video where he said something along the lines of, I can't believe this is happening on my campus, and there's a Confederate flag rolling right through Clemson, South Carolina. Right? So I think, you know, and these recruiting cycles or these recruiting circles are so tight now, especially with social media. All these guys are talking to each other. Their buddies growing up. They've all played in the same circuit, seven on seven, et cetera. I think there's something to that of going to different regions and saying, hey, what's going on in that community? And it's not a slight. It's just kind of a reality of what is going on around the country. And I think you look at the Pac-12 footprints, nobody's perfect. But fundamentally, it's just a more progressive part of the world. And and I think that when it gets down to it, uh, those are going to be three factors that I think will begin to sway some talent coming back. But we'll always lose them, you know. You, know, you referenced Jack Miller from Arizona at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud also went to Ohio State. Guys are going to want to go play at those big three schools. I don't think that's slowing down at all. To me, it's the other thing that you referenced, right? Can, can, can you find a player? And I think it's, it's nobody knew that Brock Purdy was going to be Brock Purdy, in my opinion, coming out of high school, right? But we all knew Spencer Rattler, you know. But Jake Daniels with ASU, you know. So I, I think we're always going to lose guys here and there. But to your point. You know, can we make sure the exodus isn't what it was two years ago when so many players left the footprint? Right. So part of it has having uh, big conference games, big games that excite kids because kids love that, the full stadium, the hype, the big TV audience and all that. In the conference schedule this year, Washington isn't playing USC or Utah. Oregon's not playing USC or ASU. That's four big crossover games that aren't happening. And so I think you miss those games, that's a negative. Now, the positive is maybe the league doesn't beat itself up so badly. Which way do you view that with these big games not happening? Well, I, I'm with you. Like, when the schedule came out, I was like, oh, man, SC is missing Oregon and UW. Like, that was mm-hmm. kind of the first thing that jumped out. And then I just kind of nerded it out, and I went down the list of, like, well, what, what games are not happening that are notable, right? You referenced Washington, Utah. Um, I look at Oregon, ASU, uh, yeah. Oregon, yeah, Oregon ASU. ASU. I like, like there's, 
yeah, Utah, Cal. I mean, there's some some games. And then I uh, went to the California office and I asked about it. And what I was reminded of was like this deal was made back in 2011 um, when you're talking about California schools were always going to play California schools, and that was the agreement. So if you look at it in 2013 and 14. SC didn't play Oregon and UW. Same thing in 17 and 18. Same thing in, you know, 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of the way that it works. The, the good thing is that the non-conference schedule is so strong uh, in this conference that I'm not too worried about it. And then I did a deeper dive, and, and Bama, granted, they played Georgia last year in the regular season because everything got flipped out of its head, but they didn't play them since 2015 in the regular season. Right? So it's not like conferences all across the country are making sure the best are playing the best. Um, and I think for us, it's not like it was decided this year to say, let's make sure that SC, Oregon, and Washington you know, have an easier path to a proverbial title, um, or Utah, for, the, for that matter. It wasn't that at all. It was, hey, this is how the schedule has been laid out since 2011. So I look at the non-conference. I think they play 11 games against P5, uh, two uh, obviously the traditional Notre Dame opponents. Uh, five games against BYU, interestingly. That's a, a large number. It's good for the Cougars. Good for us here in our community. You know how much we love college football and then to have BYU play teams that are, you know, at least regionally local, if that makes sense. But I look at uh, 9-11, that's second Saturday in March, uh, Washington, Michigan, Cal, TCU, uh, if it's BYU, Utah, uh, Colorado A&M and then uh, Oregon, Ohio State. Man, that is a big Saturday. How big of a deal are we going to put into the results on that Saturday, do you think? Huge. You know, I mean, you know how it works. It'll be a big deal in in week zero when UCLA plays Hawaii and then they got LSU the next week, right? I mean, I I think that's the nature. I think the big thing, and I just got done talking to Danny Cannell about it on his show early this morning of, in college football, we, we want to have everything, which is we want to hold people accountable to who they played in week one or week two to the point of Oregon, Auburn, Washington, Auburn, and say, well, they lost that game. Clearly, they're done for the season. And we also want to say, well, it's, it's the four best. So if Notre Dame or Clemson lose, it doesn't matter. They're still in the playoff in the ACC title. Like, to me, that's where the committee has to step in. Right? And they've always said four best, but that, for us at least in the, in the Pac-12 conference, hasn't always held true. Um, and I think also from a conference standpoint, if you do lose one, let's just say Oregon loses to Ohio State, you got to go run the table and you got to go do your thing in that regard. We haven't seen a two-loss team in the playoffs. So I need to plan all day or make recommendations how the playoffs should change. I've done that for the better part of the entire playoffs tenure, um, but it doesn't matter. right? So hopefully we can just continue to beat the drum of depth and breadth of the conference, and then our teams need to show up and play and play well. Right, like we, we can't go two and three against Utah. You know, Arizona's got to play or against BYU. Excuse me, Arizona's got to play well. Utah's going to. Those are the things, those little data points. And I say that I was on the inside this year as a presenter on the behalf of the Pac-12 to the CFP every other week. So I met with the Pac-12 representatives along with the Commissioner Scott, Merton Hanks, and our team, and I pitched and pitched hard. And we told them when we were disappointed with where the rankings were and how we felt the conference wasn't getting respect, and you saw where USC was ranked in multiple weeks. Uh, it felt like they heard us, but their actions didn't reflect similar opinions. So I do think there's something to you know, the narrative changing a little bit, which, which it already has begun to do that, in my opinion, and then going out and playing well in those games and getting a win in those games. Because we can look at Oregon State at Purdue, 
that's going to be a notable moment when the playoff committee gets going prior to Oregon and Oregon State. It just is. I know it from being in it this year. So I, I don't think that we sit on the throne of it is four best. I think everybody in that room is an individual, and some of them think about four best right now at the end of the season. Some use the data points along the way, um, and that to me is a major blemish within the process, which is the current playoff selection process. So is USC the uh, the favorite this year with 15 seniors and a quarterback back, or are you looking at somebody else in the league? It's really fun to kind of go through. You know, there, there's multiple teams that have over 80% of their roster returning from last year. Right? So I look at SC, to your point, Arizona State. They're positioned well. I mean, if they were, if they had USC's logo, they, they'd be picked. Right, and as I went through the schedule, I kept circling, you know, critical games, and it was everybody against ASU. And I got to ASU schedule and said, "Yeah, I must think they're pretty good." So I think today on paper, I'd go Arizona State. And I don't know what uh, the offensive line of USC is going to look like. They hired Clay McGuire, new old line coach, so they're full on air raid. Uh, I want to see what they're going to do in spring. Uh, they got to replace some really key players on defense. Right, they had some guys in at the portal. Uh, starting an inside inside backer, inside linebacker midseason, they lose Colin Ohofunga, obviously an All American player. Uh, I think those two teams right now, on paper, with what we know, are the two top teams in the South. But man, like all the players, Utah returns, UCLA. You watch them on film, and there's times where you know they they were able to do whatever they wanted. I mean, remember they they took Oregon to the end with the backup quarterback in Chase Griffin last year. They have DTR, and maybe they win that ball game, which would be a huge moment for, for Chip Kelly and the turning point in what was a weird season last year. And then in the North, I, Stanford, to me, was playing the best football in the conference last year at the end of the year. Like, if we went four best at the end or two best, Stanford would have been in the title game, in my opinion, the way that they just played. Cal returns pretty much everybody. It's amazing how many guys who could have gone to the league didn't, let alone players like they got a – 60-year senior center in Michael Safel, right? Those types of players are returning for that team. Cam Good, guys that have played a ton of football. I think it'll benefit them. And, and then I go to Washington. Under the radar, man. Really, in my opinion, a little bit under the radar on the title scene conversation. They're a top 25 team, but they're loaded. NFL talent all over. Can their receivers take the next step will be the question, right? Notably, Puka Nakua, a you know, five-star player coming out of you guys know your backyard there. Can he become the dude that we anticipated him becoming when he first got on campus? So I think there's a lot of teams at the top. Uh, but if I had to make a prediction today, I'd pick Oregon and I'd pick Arizona State in their respective conferences, knowing what we know. So you speak of Yogi as far as Oregon, just use a hypothetical, they lose to Ohio State. They got to run the table. Well, we're going into our 11th year into this conference with Utah and Colorado, and nobody has run the table. And you can throw out last year to an extent if you want to, fine. But still, nobody has gone 9-0. and zero. So it, it, it becomes, mathematically, it has, it has not happened. So I don't know that I can expect it to happen in uh, 2021. If it happens, I hope it's the Devils. But nevertheless... I'm wondering these big games that like Oregon's playing, and we saw that two years ago. What did they? I think they lost to Auburn, and and, they, and then they lose at the next to last game of the season to the Devils, yeah, and all of a sudden they're out. 
Is there is there one? I don't know what the answer is. Can we somehow get the committee to acknowledge? Well, it's almost impossible to go nine and zero uh, in the Pac-12. So rather than discredit them for losing to Auburn, give them credit for playing Auburn, even though they lost a close game, as opposed to playing the Citadel or somebody, knowing that you it's so difficult in this conference to go through unbeaten. Hey, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on that perch shouting from the rooftops as well. Um, and now a lot of what my role was with the committee was giving them context. You know, last year was, a, was obviously in a unique season. Uh, but if, if allowed to be in that room again, I, I'll continue to beat that drum. And, and that's what you're talking about. Right? And that's what's not talked about around the country. Context, no one can give, you know, you know what about context. It's about <laughs> what's your record. Right? Yeah. What was the final score? You know, I, I can give you a 21-17 win in the SEC and it's a gritty win. I can give you the same score in the Pac-12 and man, nobody's playing well. It's an ugly win, right? And that's just a narrative conversation. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to help that. Uh, and and we'll, we'll obviously we'll all do our best in that regard. But I'm with you. I, I don't see a team going undefeated in this conference. I, I think it's so hard to ask guys, A, to be that dialed in and that focused every week, right? Look at UW a couple of years ago. They lost at ASU late in the season the year they went to the playoffs. It was like it was like ten six. It was like one of those weird games. Nobody's going to play perfect this year. I think the challenge is is what you're referencing on the playoff because you know somebody from the Big Twelve might finish with one loss. ACC might finish with one loss. SEC might finish with one loss. Big Ten might finish with one loss. So if, if there's one loss teams from Power Five conferences, you say, well, those get in over the two loss. Yeah, and I understand that because we'd be making the same argument if it was swept. Uh, the challenge is that the ACC and the SEC continue to play passing schedules to a large degree in terms of weak crossover games, in my opinion, let alone uh, weak non-conference games, to you referencing the Citadel, no respect to, to that organization. But it's just a reality. When you look at Week 11 in this conference, it's Cal and Stanford. It's not Cal versus you know, Louisiana Lafayette. And, and they're doing a nice job of Louisiana Lafayette. But right. you see my point. Right. Uh, it's not nearly the type of competitive slate. Yeah. And we just keep going there. And, and I don't think that'll change. I get asked that all the time. Do you think the conference will change? You look at the Big Ten and the Big 12, they're playing non-conference games. You hear Coach Saban at least say all the time he's got no problem playing non-conference games. I don't know if they'll make those shifts in those conferences. Why would they? Because they continue to get paid by going to the playoff. Nobody's really missing the playoff from the SEC or um, Clemson and the ACC, respectively. So I don't know what will happen in that regard. But in, until the playoff committee – and or ESPN, and or you know, the hypothetical college football commissioner's office, which I hope gets built someday, until they say, you know what, they actually play different styles of football in every region, and we should give every region and every Power Five conference and a group of five a birth. It'd make it more entertaining. It'd be better yeah. for the ratings. The ratings have been down and continue to drop in college football because people are bored. You know, it, it, and we all know who the top three teams are every year in the country, and they all get the benefit of the doubt if they do lay an egg and play a poor game. Right. Our conference doesn't get that. So week one, week two, in the non-con games that you referenced and the five against BYU, there's a great opportunity this year. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel the narrative shifting. I really do. I mean, there's a lot of NFL players in this conference. Uh, even yesterday, we threw it out for three hours talking about the schedule. I've done more national interviews in the last two days. Uh, about the schedule than I have in probably previous year's schedules combined. Uh, because people are talking about it, and there's buzz about it. And, and I like that, and 
you know, that's the conference office making a, a big commitment to the hype around our teams and our conference and our league, and, and the coaches are, are loving that as well, and they should. And, and up to me, when you even look at recruiting, Cal was ranked where they were ranked. Washington's class, Stanford uh, did well late. Oregon, of course, and SC kind of carrying it. Utah's done well and, and better the last couple of years getting bigger recruits. And when you look at that thing, you say, yeah, man, like Pac-12 football is actually really good. We might just be buried in the stats or the back page of the sports section with just some scores and little blurbs at the end of the uh, every Sunday morning when they're looking at that. Well, Yogi, as always, we appreciate a few minutes to talk football, even with the jazz rolling. It's good to talk a little college football, and we will talk to you again in a little while, I expect. Yeah, anytime. I'd love to. All right. Thanks, Yogi. Yeah. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst, joining us. PK really hammered the recruiting thing you've been talking about. I was just thinking, listen to him talk, though. As much as you have to keep guys home, you know, you got to identify the guys who are really good. And, you know, uh, Zach Wilson and before him, Josh Allen, you know, the guy who's quarterback in the NFL playoffs and a guy who looks like he's going to be a top five pick, maybe the number two pick to the Jets. And they played their high school ball in the Pac-12 footprint and didn't go to Pac-12 schools, not because they left the area, Nobody got on him. And I know there's late bloomers, and that's a factor well, I, and all that. But the Quarterback's a different animal, though. Yeah. You still need can you, the best. Can you at least agree on that? It is, and it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, you do. You do. It, it doesn't matter who you don't have if you have the guy. I mean, you can list, and it's an impressive list of quarterbacks who have left the state of Arizona, but if Jaden Daniels goes out and wins the Pac-12 <laughs> championship this year, who cares? You know, they invested in a guy. They got him. He won. Great. Uh, who nope, cares you in want, the short term? You want them all. You want them all. Bring in all the Arizona quarterbacks. Well, but, but, well you're not going to get them all, but I think the, the foundation of your program has got to be the local kid. It does. Even, even Alabama. five quarterbacks yeah. that are big time leaving. Yeah, and even Alabama. And you yeah, got... you got fortunate with Jaden Daniels because the, he had an opportunity to play as a freshman. If they had a junior they're not getting Jaden Daniels. Yeah. It was circumstantial. It was. As to how they got him. But getting him is getting him. Now the question is, are they going to back him up with another big-time quarterback? And also the question yeah, is, but, is he okay. going to win big time? Is he going to win big time? Well, it remains to be seen. He hasn't done it yet. But, right. uh, you know, they throw out last year. So he's still basically a freshman. So it, you have to go the foundation What's going to give you the blueprint? And I can point to Larry Kristobiak. He had success with a foreign guy and a junior college guy who ends up being in the NBA. That's not necessarily repeatable as easily as it is the foundation of getting freshmen into your program who are really good and have them develop. You see what I'm saying there? Absolutely. I, I, I know. It's got to be sustainable. But it's just that the conference needs big-time talent, and there's big-time talent in their footprint, and they didn't lose it to the SEC. They just they didn't get it. You know, one guy plays yeah, at BYU, I, one guy I plays can, at Wyoming. I can give you a pass to a degree with quarterback, but this Corey Foreman that he speaks of, he's basically the reincarnate of the Thibodeau kid who's just wreaking havoc, as Majerus would say, on offenses. Uh, number oh. five, I think he is for Oregon. He should be a first-round pick, if not the first pick this year. So uh, Foreman is a local kid. I think he's from Corona Centennial I, uh, yeah. down there in SoCal. Offensive and defensive linemen should be slam dunks in a way a quarterback really can't be. I mean, I, I get that. 
You know, and so along the O line and the D line, you have your guys. USC has a ton of talent. They got 15 starters back, and they got their quarterback back, and he's big time. But everything you read about SC in the preseason, it's, it's always yes, 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 comma, but the offensive line. <laughs> Just over and over. But the offensive line. And the O line and the yeah. D line should be the most predictable. You ought to be able to get that at a much higher percentage. Quarterbacks are tricky, they are. But you got to have them. I know we got to go to break. And uh, coming up next, we're going to have the birthday boy. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.